Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 96. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast about Metallica featuring interviews about Metallica. And I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is my old pal Mike Schleibaum, guitarist for Darkest Hour. There are two ways you can support this podcast if you like it, two of the best ways anyway. One is to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. Those really do help. The other is to find Speak and Destroy on Patreon, where you get access to bonus episodes called from my interview archives over the years, conversations with people like Serge Tankian from System of a Down, Glenn Danzig, Randy Blythe of Lamb of God, and Kirk Hammett. You can subscribe to Speaking Destroy in your podcast listening platform of choice, also on YouTube, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network include Pop Curse, which features musicians talking movies, and No Prize from God. Conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. So here it is, my conversation with Mike Schleibaum of Darkest Hour. This is Speak and Destroy. Kicking things off, tell me about a young Mike first discovering music in general, and at at what point you fell in love with it, and then when was the moment where you realized, okay, this isn't just something that I love, this is something I need to participate in. I have to actively create. For me, falling in love with music is... Uh, totally equatable to falling in love with guitar and they both happened at the same time I think for a lot of people who love heavy metal music Uh, I was around seventh grade which is around 13 or so maybe 13 or 14 it's a little hazy because there's been a lot of years of being on tour and stuff so just work with me here people on the on the (laughs) wikipedia uh so it was in my formative years because I remember I had a love before music and it was ice hockey. So I didn't, there wasn't music in my home and there was definitely no love for heavy metal and we didn't have MTV. So for me, uh, I was exposed to music at an early age at the ice hockey rink. Mm. So I knew I liked rock and roll. They played it all the time at the warmups. I had heard it. I knew I liked what some of the bands were, but I didn't know a lot about it until I started playing on hockey teams. And then I had a lot of experiences with different guys that were on the team giving me tapes, 
you know, the first time I heard a lot of bands were on cassette tapes given to me at hockey practice. Uh, I'll never forget bands like Rage Against Machine, like seriously uh, handed me a tape. That changed my life too. But also um, earlier music, like more classic rock because Rage didn't exist when I got into ice hockey when I was 13. So sure. I fell in love with, with rock music kind of at the hockey rink, but I wasn't ever exposed to it till I started playing hockey with my friends after school and then hanging out with them and noticing that they had a thing called MTV and cable, which we just were never gonna have at our house. Cause my parents were ultra religious and they just mm. were not into entertainment either. Like <laughs> just gardened for fun, you know? Yeah. So, and had kids, they had like younger kids that took, made them kept and they had to both work. So like, yeah, uh, there weren't a lot of, there wasn't anything like that at my house. So I witnessed for the first time ever a music video of ACDC live at Castle Donington, which changed my life. I went home immediately after that with my ice hockey stuff or actually at that point people it was roller hockey but we can you can edit that out if you <laughs> with my stuff because i live in virginia and i said i want a guitar you know i want a guitar and so my mom of course got me the neighbor's acoustic guitar and a book on how to play happy birthday and i wanted to you know kill the guitar after like a week uh but i kept going over to my friend's house to play hockey and they kept introducing me to music um and so it was there was a Bradley's, which is a lot like a Kmart that was around the uh, corner from my buddy Brandon's house, who I played street hockey with. And we would go down to the Bradley's and every few days I would like skim off my lunch money, you know, for a while. And then every once in a while I'd go buy like another ACDC record because hmm. there were so many and they were sold in tape cassettes for like six ninety nine blowout special. Right. And they all came in these big plastic cassettes, um, you know, holders mm -hmm. to shift through them. So I would go down there and I would get one cassette, cassette at a time and just play that album over and over and over until I got bored and I could buy another one. And then my buddies started telling me about used music stores, like, re like record stores where secondhand stuff existed. And then I got into a ton of crazy stuff there. But around like before, like if I back up before that time, I got into ACDC and then uh, to segue into your main topic, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, my buddy, who is also one of the hockey buddies, he won a contest for Metallica tickets and a ride to the show in a limo. So wow. we actually went to the Capitol Center concert of the Black Record. Uh, we didn't sit in the snake pit, but we were like, Driven there, dropped off in a limo, four of us. You know, I I bought a sick shirt from there. I don't have, you know, the faces. And I remember the, the whole concert. I remember thinking how cool it was. They came up, you know, live and everything. Like, even though they weren't live, it was obviously pre-recorded now that I'm in a band. I know oh, yeah. it was all oh, when they, yeah, when they, they come were... up on the screen and they're like, we're about exactly. to come out there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Lars and his towel. No way. They were like back doing their thing. Like, uh... So anyway, uh, that... That Metallica concert was, then it was boom, you know, I mean, Metallica was hot, uh, you know, Enter Sandman, the first time I heard Enter Sandman was in a ice hockey rink parking lot. So for me, again, it was all around that age um, that like where I shifted from loving hockey to metal and Metallica broke the black record. Cheap tapes were everywhere and, you know, lunch money was never used for lunch.
Yeah, same with the lunch money. Um, yeah, it's interesting that the hockey into guitar playing transition because it's very similar. My friend Andy Beersack, uh, you know, who's a bit younger than you and I are, but his he had a very very similar uh, trajectory to yours in that he was really into hockey, and he it was in Ohio, so it was a lot of street hockey and stuff also, and. To make a long story short, his last day of playing hockey, when he was just like, I'm over it. I, I hate hockey now. I'm quitting. Um, he got his dad to take him to like a music store and bought, you know, equipment to try to start a band. And it was like, yeah, very, very similar to what you're explaining that. Man, you know, that, yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, it, it mirrors a lot of what was happening with me as far as, I don't know if like, Guitar seems so much like uh, um, hockey, but I know that being in a band is a lot like being on a hockey team. Yes. And so, I mean, there are a lot of things that just totally clicked once those those things kind of met at both ends. But yeah. for me, it's like this weird kind of trinity because I had, you know, ice hockey, and then all of a sudden came heavy metal, you know, guitar. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the thing that really changed my life and saved me was punk rock and hardcore, mm. you know, because what happened was I didn't necessarily relate to all the people that I saw at the Metallica concert or right. that like necessarily identified as heavy metal people at my school. I didn't relate to the things I saw some of the bands saying and like just didn't feel right. And at the same time, I was introduced to the scene of music that was around uh, my you know, my hometown here in Washington, D.C., you know, and so I found out that bands not like Metallica played. Oh, th that was your second question, which was, uh, when did you figure out you needed to participate? Well, mm -hmm. right, right away, I liked playing heavy metal, like guitar all day long. And as soon as I started playing heavy metal guitar, I started having bands. You know what and, I mean? And, like, and, I was, and was this all stuff that right you had away. to, was this all stuff that you had to, keep from your parents and sort of hide or was it just more that they weren't interested in it but they tolerated you being into it man it's really hard to explain because there was a level of appeasement that they had to commit to because i was the full-time caretaker of my two my youngest brother and sister who are 10 years younger than me so i was expected to come home after school and just basically be there with them uh, once they were old enough to be at home uh, after school because my mom had to go back to work. So for that entire reason, I think my parents felt guilty that I wasn't allowed to be involved in after school activities. You know, they gave me a car uh, because I was a babysitter, basically. Mm -hmm. And then that gave me the freedom to kind of do what I wanted. And then they were a little scared uh, of the heavy metal and everything but they liked my friends, you know what I mean? They did like like some of my friends, but what happened was straight edge hardcore is very strange. You know what I mean? Like the ideology can mirror Christian ideology in a lot of ways, although my mom was a little worried I was in a cult, but there was like this thing where everybody I knew who loved heavy metal also partied, <laughs> but I didn't party because I was into vegan straight edge, but I loved heavy metal. So it was yeah. like, as long as I wasn't partying and all I wanted to do was play music, 
my parents were like, well, fuck it, have the basement. But every time I left a carcass t-shirt out or Ozzy t-shirt out or something that my mom saw, she'd just throw it away. You know mm. what I mean? So mm. it was it was a war, a silent war. Yeah, I know. I I get the silent war. Um, my stepmom Dude, threw, threw away my circle jerk shirt and my dead Kennedy shirt. This is this just flashed to me. Uh, the jump in the fire demo cover, which is like the devil thing. Mm-hmm. I had that tape cassette. Um, I had bought it at a used music store, and I had to hide that tape cassette like above my uh like in my room in the drop ceiling like because i knew that if my mom saw like the cover for ride lightning if she saw anything about jump in the fire like if she really dug into it even closely it would be like really bad yeah man yeah i had an experience where my dad when i you know starting uh middle school onwards i lived with my dad and uh he sort of it was kind of don't ask, don't tell. He didn't really pay attention to what I was listening to or anything. But my stepmom, as the story went anyway, was doing Christmas shopping for me. This is like seventh, seventh grade, maybe seventh or eighth grade. And she had gone to one of the music stores at the mall, like a, you know, Sam Goody or something. And told the guy, you know, I'm, I'm shopping for my teenage stepson. Uh, and the, and the clerk was like, well, what's he into? And she was like, Oh, he wears t-shirts that say like, slayer and megadeth and and apparently this guy was like oh whoa whoa like you know indiana in the late 80s like oh ma'am your stepson's in deep trouble like this is these bands are satanic and they're all about violence and this and that and whatever and so i came home from school that day to find my dad and stepmom in my bedroom which they never came in my bedroom for any reason ever and they're both in there and my stepmom is rifling through my records and tapes and my dad is staring thoughtfully with his arms kind of behind his back at all the posters on my wall and uh because heavy metal at that time you know was very the pmrc and like you know, these boot camp people are going to come kidnap you in your sleep and make you cut your hair and, uh, you know, take you away. I had all that like thrash metal punk rock programming in my head that as soon as I saw them in my room, looking at all that stuff, I was like, Oh, I went to a panic. And so then of course they're like, why, why are you panicking? What are you so upset about? You know, uh, if there's nothing to worry about. So yeah, so that turned into a whole big thing. And the compromise that was reached by the end of that big conversation was that I would get rid of anything that was overtly, blatantly satanic so it was like okay possess seven churches that's gotta go um but i really kind of used it as a way to to just get the things that i didn't really like that much you go like oh yeah these are the real super evil ones kind of keep everything else so i wish it made more logical sense with my family like it, it really didn't because uh things that weren't really that bad were so awful and then things that were Clearly on the side of sketchy, like Slayer, Rain and Blood was equated to the same thing as like Van Halen. And you're like, yeah, I know it's called Running with the Devil. And I know the lyrics are dark, but they're two different things, Mom. You know what I mean? And so uh, we're also not talking about Pantera, which was super popular and was sort of my next, you know, love after, after Metallica. And then that seemed even crazier 
in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons um, to my parents too. But my mom bought me my first record ever, which is, which is a Weird Al Yankovic live in 3D. You <laughs> nice. know? Uh, I don't know how she figured out that I like that record, but she bought it for me. And she always tried to convince me to do piano lessons, which I hated, which I now wish I did do. Sure. But, uh, but it was as soon as that convergence of, of music and heavy metal came together, she didn't like it. And so uh, I ha- it was a, it was a s- kind of solo journey that I went on to, to fall in love with music. And then later to fight my parents in a way and be like, okay, this is what I like to do. Every winter break is go on tour. And now every weekend I'm taking the vehicle they got me, which was like a 84 Ford Bronco piling full of gear and driving all around. And uh, my first band WD 40 would play places like there was this dentist parking lot that had all the outlets turned on all night. So we'd roll up there with our trucks We'd fly her at school all week and roll up with our with the truck and everything, pull up, unload, plug into the dentist's parking lot and play. And we played basically metalcore mm-hmm. in parking lots. And we didn't know about the greater world of bands doing this at all. We just, it was like high school parties, but it was existing the same way as uh, hardcore kids were flying for actual hardcore shows. So as soon as we got to high school and it all pulled together and we met people who were flying for undertow and unbroken who are on tour from Seattle playing with damnation AD and battery in, in DC, not in Virginia, you know, that's when the whole thing broke open for me. And I knew I could go on tour. I could be in a band. I could do it all myself. It didn't have to look at the Capitol center. Um, so for me, it was, the summer of i guess it was 95 or no 94 maybe maybe even 93 who the fuck knows whenever that tour was man undertow and unbroken that was my first hardcore show like people grabbing the mic Mm -hmm. stage diving and it was a lot different than my metallica concert although i had loved you know metallica and i had loved heavy metal much more visceral visceral and up close and personal it did it we didn't have to have a tour bus we didn't have to do anything we didn't have to play with a bunch of lights we could make up our own songs and there could only be 20 people there Mm -hmm. and then i was i was hooked uh but i wasn't really hooked with my metal friends as much anymore because they still wanted to party and i wanted to go on tour and and do stuff and it just didn't work out like we couldn't do couldn't get those guys motivated you know, the guy at the school could play the most badass double bass. I couldn't get him to be in the band because it was just a washout, you know? Yeah. So, well, you know, what's interesting about your trajectory, especially to me, is that, you know, this period that we're talking about, the late 80s and the early 90s, you know, of course there was crossover, which I think was kind of its distinct thing, you know, Crumb Suckers, DRI, early COC, that sort of stuff. And of course you had metal and you had punk and then you had bands like, nuclear assault and carnivore that were maybe they kind of knew about, you know, they might wear a Chromex t-shirt or like they kind of, you know, they kind of knew that scene, but they were still sort of very much in the metal world. And then, you know, I think in my mind, um, Dwid, by the way, blames me for the coining of the term metalcore, which, oh, uh, yeah. which was something that I had you got sus- blamed for the coining shit. Good. I got it. wasn't me. Yeah, I had suspected that I that it was maybe me, but no one had ever said it to me, and I'd never said it out loud. And then he said it to me a few years ago, 
and uh, yeah, so I, I mean, who knows? Um, Jaggerty sure th- could be the first metalcore band. I think that they were, um, but you had, but you had like, um, you know, Born Against. Like, what is that, right? And you have uh, Choke. Chokehold was doing a lot, although they weren't. I mean, I do. I I can hear like everybody in my band screaming and the internet screaming. Integrity's the first metalcore band. And Integrity was but before Chokehold. Yeah, you know, and also Converge is old as fuck too. You want they to are. get down to it. Old um, as fuck. And then also Damnation AD uh, was also doing metal and hardcore. Battery sounded like metal and hardcore. It didn't. Damnation sound AD like sounded threat. like metal and hardcore uh, for sure. I'm just saying there was a really. But strong was after Integrity. Sure, but they're in Cleveland, so our ability to really get influenced by them was hindered. And, and, but this entire generation you're talking about, mm-hmm. like including Snapcase, Earth Crisis, um, Bloodlet, Morning Again, you know, like this that weird under that that Victory era um, at Records era, that too hugely influential for me because those were my next set of guitar heroes, like because I loved all those bands and I loved them almost more than the big four because I could get to know them and I could write accessible. And they wrote songs that seemed like they were talking to me and about stuff I was going through and stuff we were all going through. And so um, really, that really spoke to me, you know, I'll never forget when destroy the machines came out. I think I'm not saying I became an unpantera fan. I just forgot they existed for a right. minute. And right. it's hard to explain to people, but we didn't have Spotify and shit and YouTube and shit to remind you. So it's like mm-hmm. I got, uh, I had gotten Vulgar Display and I'd gotten, uh, you know, uh, whatever, Far Beyond Driven. And then boom, Destroy the Machines came out. I was like, fuck, yeah, are you kidding me, dude? Then, you know, Pantera puts out whatever. I remember seeing, bam, the great Southern Trend Killer or Reinventing Steel somewhere and going, oh yeah, Pantera. <laughs> but, dude, it was like, yeah. You know, well, you know and, what's crazy is that summer of Destroy the Machines. Uh, I, I should fact check this, but I'm pretty sure that same year was Destroy the Machines, Slaughter of the Soul, uh, mm-hmm. No More Dreams of Happy Endings. I got I, I, uh, one of the Lifetime records, like the good Lifetime records. I think those well, were all right around the same time, which is well. Crazy so I've done a, a bunch of interviews about this because I know all about the way that the Inflames timeline cues up with the Darkest Hour timeline. So yeah. I can tell you that you know, first you had um, before what was it before Colony is not Horacle is yeah Horacle right, and then Colony, you have the yeah. Jester Race. So yeah. Horacle comes out, blows everybody's mind. Okay, uh, then Darkest Hour is supposed to put out um, Mark of the Judas that fails miser- miserably. But then, man, Colony comes out and it's like, boom. And I'm pretty sure that Colony is the tour you're talking about where Earth Crisis and Flames came with Walls of Jericho. Or uh, what you're saying no, no, that's no, no, that was uh, Oracle. No, that's way later. That was Clayman. Clay, um, no, but Clayman's before Colony. No, Colony's before Clayman. Internet. Like, Clayman was, like was like the breakthrough. Dude, wait internet this out hold on in flames i'm gonna tell you right now i know earth earth crisis in flames was clay man you know how i know that okay you could be right though because i was on that tour well then who was okay okay so you're saying oracle colony clay man so colonies before clay man is that what you're saying 
Yeah, but before we get to that, because we're jumping around, because because I'm all the way back in like '95 talking about right, because you have soul. slaughter of the soul. But, but before, that's but, like, but I, I do want to get to that in flames those, thing because it's it's fun to talk about. But um, also at the gates, dude, totally off our radar, really, till they after they broke up. Well, this that's is what they well, did with Napalm well, Death. Well, this is totally where this is radar. where I want to go with this. Um, this is where I was going with the metalcore thing. I think. In my mind, Integrity was the first true metalcore band, and there's all these great bands we're talking about that that are almost you know contemporaries or yeah. near contemporaries. You know, with Damnation, Dead Guy, all these. Yeah, but great Vocal bands. Test is the shit again. Uh, but <laughs> going forward, I think uh, for what a long time anyway, a lot of people were calling metalcore because metalcore itself has evolved you know, in different states. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. And the whole new wave of American heavy metal that we think yeah. of with Shadows Fall, As I Lay Dying, um, Lamb of God, Kill Switch, to some extent, Avenged Sevenfold, all of those bands. And you've probably heard this a lot, I'm not, but I don't know that I've ever actually talked about it with you. I think Darkest Hour was the first of that generation. At least in my mind, as somebody who uh, hear me out, yeah, as, as as somebody who grew up into thrash metal and then in high school got into hardcore and then was deeply immersed in the hardcore scene, and I remember uh, those who fear tomorrow coming out, and you know, next thing you know, Earth Crisis leaps from all out war to firestorm, you know, and like and, and like watching these these sort of movements happen, I, and maybe it's just when I encounter things. But I remember the first Darkest Hour record I heard. I want to say it was on Lumberjack or oh, like yeah. a Lumberjack no, affiliated. Okay. Prophecy fulfilled. It was the first time I heard a hardcore band in the hardcore scene on a hardcore label that sounded anything like At the Gates, that had like new wave of Swedish death metal stuff yeah, happening. And then when you you know go go forward just a, a couple of years all those bands I just named your kill switches, your as I Dying's, those were all bands that were Americanized versions of the Swedish bands. Yeah. And all open for darkest hour. Every one of them. <laughs> of course. But, but, but um, I do think we do exist somewhere possibly on the line. Like I get annoyed when people talk about the new wave of American heavy metal and darkest hour isn't included. Cause I'm like, well, we're I still fucking around. Where maybe yeah. we've shifted into that category. But at the same time, I have learned to accept the metalcore tag because, like, I'm not going to fight the internet if this is what you guys want to label what we're doing, you know? At the same time, I do, I do remember having to, like, figure out about these bands in the back bin of a record store and trying to listen to them and going right away, like, whoa, that's, listen, that's like a punk beat or a thrash beat or a circle bit beat or something, but listen, and then we're just basically terribly trying to figure out how the songs went and then sort of like ingesting the music and definitely unearth played their, one of their first shows around with darkest hour. And we would mm -hmm. go see overcast and play with them. So we were taking in what other bands were doing too. And of one blood that shadows fall record came yeah. out right around Mark of the juice. And, MIA Records was trying to really push and market against Century Media. And, you know, Century Media obviously did better. I think Shadows Fall had a more uh, 
marketable mainstream album in of one blood and it's 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 great i mean we don't even have really guitar solos on mark of the judas mm -hmm. but they both said something different that pretty much gets melded into wherever the next part of the journey goes like you're saying so yeah. uh we feel like pretty lucky to have existed all in that time right yeah, I, but then like, like as commandos scratched yeah. our way out you know yes yeah <laughs> totally and i and i think yeah I, I guess i don't think darkest hour gets enough credit um is what i'm trying to say for being a really early version of what became like the american cousins to those great swedish bands that goes back to at the gates we'll, we'll take it <laughs> And those bands were, you know, combining Metallica with Maiden with death metal, you know, and that's yeah. sort of, I mean, everything's. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Engineer. Do, do I think they were all way ahead of us? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like all their bands. But do I think there's something special about like this kind of uh, reflection that's going on? And the fact that like then Darkest Hour went and played everywhere with a victory record sticker that said at the gates on it. So in yeah. some weird yeah. way, like we show up in Nova Scotia, Canada to play in front of 200 hardcore kids. And we say, yeah, we sound like at the gates. And the first thing they say is who's at the gates. Right. Right. And then exactly. afterward that show, they're going, Oh shit, you guys were sick. You sound like who? Oh, yeah. I'll go check them. You know? And that was after yes. at the gates broke up Yep. And in flames. We like them. Who's that? You know? And we were, yeah. you know, and we were like apostles, dude. Dude. When, uh, when Zayo put out, uh, Blood and Fire, the first record with Dan as the singer. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was another thing where hardcore kids were like, "What is this vocal style? What is this dude's voice? It's crazy!" And all of us ex metal kids were like, "What's well, Carcass? You know, it's yeah. it's at the gates." Um, oh, the vocals are my favorite. Oh. Yeah, people have been telling me the vocals are in Darkest Hour are bad for twenty plus years, but it's awesome how music, like the arc of history, has come right to us. Where like uh, it it was an interesting reflection of our recently put out live record that we did mm -hmm. is that it's songs from our 25 year catalog right and compressed over time and played with the same production and the same feel with a singer who's singing the way he's been singing basically the same way for 25 years all the songs sound like they could have been on one record yeah or like work together. And it didn't change that much from when everybody said we were totally stupid. So <laughs> it's nice to have been yeah. at least, you know, that far ahead of the curve. Although now modern music has gotten so far ahead of Darkest Hour that we've sort of ended up having to survive, ingest more modern influences so that we could, in some ways, what's different than At The Gates, but also similar to In Flames, mm -hmm. is that we've had to sort of ingest modern influences to develop our sound to get past where we were at because as an artist, you can't just keep putting out the same thing or trying the same thing. So you, uh, you try something, you know, I love that you brought up in flames you and I were both in that, uh, series of in flames, happy birthday videos that came oh, out yeah. around oh, uh, the, the Clayman yeah. anniversary. Yeah, and man. Oh, man. I remember that Clayman era because, um, they came over to do what was, a co-headliner with earth crisis and walls of Jericho and skin lab were the openers on that. And walls of Jericho couldn't do the first week. Um, so our booking agent at the time, uh, who was Matt Pike when he worked with Tim Bohr, uh, he gave us the week that walls of Jericho couldn't do. Um, so we did that. 
And it was like that whole tour was put together. I don't think In Flames was familiar with any of the bands that were on the bill prior to the tour. And it was an interesting moment in the arc of Earth Crisis because uh, it was sort of like In Flames. That's like a European metal band. Not many people know Earth Crisis. Oh, it's Earth Crisis. But by the time that tour happened, which I think was in 2000, 99 or 2000, In Flames was on the way up here and Earth Crisis was plateauing. And as I understand it, uh, a few shows in, uh, Earth Crisis was, you know, calling Pike and Boar and going, hey, can can those guys close every night? Like, we're not really into this flip-flopping, well, you know. And let, it's me, like, let, well, let me tell you something. They ain't the only band. Because Darkest Hour, we've been headlining over Ramon and Marth and had the same, make that call. Like, mm-hmm. hey, yo, who the fuck thought we were supposed to play after Ramon and Marth? Did you just see 400, 500 Vikings just leave? Yeah. Also, there's a band called Parkway Drive. Yeah, yeah, should have should should have also known about. So it's not Earth Crisis is not the only band who went through that. Also, oh yeah, I, I will also say in, to say in Earth Crisis's defense, pushing a militant vegan agenda about environmentalism and veganism is a lot harder with, with no guitar solos. Is a lot harder to heavy metal fans than melodious, beautiful perfectly crafted heavy metal harmonies indeed and songs about shit like where you're kind of like it sounds cool what the fuck are you saying i don't know yeah. from sweden you know like that do you did you see in flames when they toured with Moonspell? uh probably because there was a show in a place called Phantasmagoria. It was a record store here in Washington, D.C. Mm. And uh, they had hardcore shows in the back. And a legendary show happened there that was Dillinger Escape Plan, Darkest Hour, Moonspell. Uh, I think Deceased played, by the way. Like It was like 20 what bands. A wild and, and, Bill. In Flames played at the end. And uh, I, I, that, was, that was definitely on the Colony Tour because I have this vivid memory of being like, holy fuck, how does it sound this good? But hearing and seeing them do tracks, which I'd never seen anybody do like some kind of like tracks, you know? And then when they they played the Super Bowl of Hardcore with the Bad Brains here in Washington, D.C. on the tour you're talking about, mm-hmm. and Darkest Hour played, you know, Walls of Jericho played that show, but Darkest Hour played on one of the other stages. That was like one of the greatest shows of our life. Dude, it was amazing. It was a great show. But in Flames changed everyone's life in that day in that room like the way that they sounded the way that it played how it cut Mm -hmm. through they took all that europe right to us and was like "Uh," and i think a lot of that changed you know as much as everything else like they went around and and they connected hardcore metal with that tour almost and i you know i'm sure a lot of people can say whatever but if a historian's gonna look at what happened they're gonna see that that tour was pivotal for sure absolutely and and it was pivotal in my life personally and yeah multiple ways uh yeah because on that on that run where we filled in for walls of jericho for the first week um bjorn anders jesper that's crazy the lineup dude oh the lineup insane um each of those dudes at some point took us aside and said hey we really love your band uh, we're coming back and doing our own tour in a few months we you know we, we want to have you on the whole thing not just a week like this time and they were true to their word they came back 
and did a full U.S. tour in November 2000. And it was In Flames, Nevermore, Shadows Fall, and Burn It Down. And um, yeah, what was that? What was that album? Was that uh, that the, was Clayman? Um, that was just that was because that, that Clayman Earth Crisis Run, I think, was August 2000. And then they were right back in November. Oh, so it was the same same thing. And then they put yeah. out the reroute to remain, which is obviously they were influenced by everything they saw that right. just happened. Right. <laughs> in well, the we, same way, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. as I understand it, we broke their band shirt rule because they had they had a no band shirts on stage rule. And I mean they, they started wearing burn it down t-shirts. And then I would I'd open up Metal Maniacs and see a picture of Bjorn in like Spain. One of our shirts. <laughs> Man, now they break that rule like it's nobody's business. And also, can I tell you, Metallica and Machine Head taught me that it is okay to wear your own band shirt on stage. Actually, I think maybe even the guys yeah, in Havoc. Yeah, Iron Maiden. Yeah. You know, I, that was like a thing in Darkest Hour. There were two things. I still don't think, by the way, anybody in Darkest Hour would wear a Darkest Hour shirt. Like, like. I, it's just like this hardcore thing you know what i mean like because when we were kids that was just the thing you wouldn't have done probably yeah but at the same time some of our friends wore shorts on stage which is a thing that some of us will never do so it's yes. hard to say never or put people in categories yeah yeah and the thing about the band shirts and this is this comes up on this podcast all the time uh the thing about the band shirts with metallica in particular you know, that was how so many of us discovered the misfits, Sam Hain and Danzig, you know, yeah. or I mean, yeah. when you think about all the band shirts that those guys wore and that you were like, I love Metallica. Who are the bands they love? But uh, now they just wear Metallica, though. You yeah, know with, I, mean? I think I, with Iron Maiden, I feel like they have that like sports team vibe. Well, they're you know? wearing like, costumes now. Shit. They got costume changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Slayer, it's like you got to know what they're going to look like. I think Anthrax is probably the band that might show up and like who knows what who's wearing what. Although they wear jerseys too. Yeah. Matching well, outfits. back in the day, they were like you know board shorts and. I like that look. I'm, Ninja I'm Turtle loading. guitars. I, I want to see Jonathan and from Shadows Fall in that look. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to bring see, I wanna... it back. Bring back that Anthrax look. Yeah, I want to see. Next I want to see John uh, shave Jams. not. Shave not into his chest hair. Yeah. But you know what? Who am I? I can't tell Anthrax what to do. <laughs> fans should not yell at bands what they should do. They take no shit. And they don't care for writing exactly. it. Exactly. Um, so do you remember your, your first Metallica show was Black Album Era. Do you remember the first Metallica that you heard? Or what the circumstances were? Oh, well, yeah. It was parking lot. Uh, my I was a rink rat. In a lot of ways, I transitioned to a studio rat. You know, I would just hang around the ice rink every uh, chance I could that there was a free skate. And so that meant I had to sit outside and wait for my parents to pick me up all the time. Mm -hmm. But I would sit like far away from the rink because my parents were so embarrassing, right? So I would just sit there. And then I remember this guy pulled up in his truck and um, he had this, he had the whole thing, man. They opened up this white pickup truck straight out the early nineties, man, just bust open some cores lights right after the free skate right there in the parking lot and start cranking the fucking black record, dude. And it sounded like God coming out of that truck. I'm telling you at that at night, like when it's dead quiet and then just gah, 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 gah. you hear the echo off the walls and everything. Uh, and I remember when my parents came, I was like so pissed because I only got like a couple songs in, but 
I remember that was the first time I heard it. That was my listening party. You know. Amazing. Do you recall what the first Metallica riffs were that you tried to figure out? Well, the, I was, uh, you know, Guitar World was the place to go. Mm. So, I mean, it would have been something, uh, but something in Guitar World. But I also have a distinct memory that for us, this might be strange too, but, you know, before the internet, everything, how you found stuff was strange. So it was the black, it was the black record. And then it was go see Metallica at the concert. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, like the next day or two days later, someone had kill them all or cliff them all, you know, the DVD or the yeah. fucking VHS tape. So then because we had got stoked on Metallica, we heard there was a VHS tape and someone got it. So then we wanted to watch it. But then we were completely pulled in because we loved the way Metallica looked in these videos, like with Cliff Burton playing on the punk stages with the whole total different look. And so we yeah. would like, scour those videos because also in those videos you could see where on the fretboards they were at ah. and i remember i had this buddy to this day he's still one of the motherfucking sickest musicians i ever met his name is tony torres uh longtime friend he would take his record player figure out he could put like three or four quarters stack them together right make a weight and then he figured out that if a guitar was tuned to e right he could put these quarters on the on the record player and it would tune everything back down two cents to D and slow everything down. So he had a guitar he tuned to D and he'd put the quarters on the record player and he'd figure out note for note because he also was a little socially awkward, but he had perfect pitch. Wow. So he was really shy, but I buddied up with him because he liked metal and he was the first person I knew who could slow music down slightly and figure out how to write in tab form Metallica riffs. And then uh, you started seeing them pop up in Guitar World, but they weren't the songs we wanted to learn at all, you know? So that's why we started doing the quarter thing. And then the Hal mm -hmm. Leonard books came out. We started buying all those. And I started taking guitar lessons with my youngest or my first guitar teacher is named John Conley. And that was it. I would like, bring him riffs all the time and he would show me riffs and then i'd take him home and then at the same time i was also learning megadeth slayer uh and, and you know some judas Priest. it just kind of like scorpions you know um all that kind of stuff lumped together but metallica was the kings you know until pantera showed up it, it wasn't john connelly from nuclear assault no. was it? <laughs> no, and there's a lot of John Conley's, and this is bullshit. Because let me say, shout out to John Conley because he recently played a guest solo on the new Darkest Hour album, Godless Prophets and Microphone. It's a couple years old. This solo, this dude, he's been playing shred guitar for so fucking long. I'm not gonna say it to embarrass him. You know, he doesn't look like as cool as me because I look like a rock star. He looks like a regular ass dude. And he wrote and composed and played that solo on Godless Prophets. The, the song's called Timeless Numbers. Fucking try to play that shit. It's insane. <laughs> He's so good. And he has been one of the best guitar teachers I've met along my entire journey. So I was lucky to meet him early, you know? And through him, through my buddy, Tony, we tried to learn Metallica riffs. And I know it would have started for me with Ride the Lightning and shifted to, to Master of Puppets. I, I remember that vividly, mm -hmm. you know, because fight fire with fire, like all of a sudden was like, shit, we got to learn classical. <laughs> right. <laughs> like we don't really like Iron Maiden because it's like kind of like, but man, Metallica, that shit's sick. The fight fire, we got to learn how to play classical, you know, 
for whom the bell tolls, that's the easy one. Cause it's like, that's an easy one to play a band practice right away to get those harmonies going. Right. Mm -hmm. Trapped under ice was cool, but nobody could ever play the whole song. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, uh, and then also everybody loves creeping death, dude, you know, we only played that part of it. We mm. didn't do whole songs, right? The, the Exodus then, part. Th then we got into puppets, which was way too fucking hard. So you don't even want to hear that d d disaster. Then when, uh, you know, by the time we figured out that there was an album called Injustice for All, we didn't like that one as much as the others at first. And then we liked it the most. <laughs> but it was a weird transition. You know what I mean? And so, uh, I don't know. It was all fucked up. But now I just know they're all pretty good up to the black record. And then after that, we're going to have a lot of debate and discussions. In well, my opinion. I mean, and, then, and those debates and discussions come up often. Now, I'm not hating on the Kings, but I am saying I do prefer uh, a more classical approach to composition than I do with the more pentatonic blues approach. But mm. I will say that... That's a very the, smart way to identify it because that's oh, what the 90s were. It's, it's fucking clear. Yeah. Okay. Like if you play guitar and you try to figure out, I'm not saying someone's else, someone else is like writing the music, but it's a, it's a distinct shift. Um, almost in the way that you can visualize the shift, maybe from deliver us to uh, the eternal return, you know, like darkest hour sounds like two kind of different bands, but two kind of same bands. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know what's happening. You know what I mean? those shifts happen that happened at uh, the black record only it happened for Metallica in, 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 in a way that was addicting. Like I can't even imagine going from composing how, like movements, linear songs, uh, songs that are based on like the idea of classical layering of harmonies more to just more straight thin Lizzie style rock, you mm -hmm. know, Although you can't really overlook that the black record has the God that fails holier than now. Um, I mean, Sabbath is like Man. the heaviest song they've ever Yeah, done. but it's kind of rock, but the tail end of the record's pretty metal. You know, I mean, it's no, uh, you know, Phantom Lord, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, come on, or Metal Militia. Through the I mean, Never is a pretty, pretty metal song. Oh yeah, yeah. Through the Never. So uh, it's like, it does color. I, I, I can see how Metallica felt. They were similar, but I think as a listener, it, it changed. And then another thing that we, a game that we play eternally with Darkest Hour with the newer Metallica records, which again, you know, if I ever met anybody in Metallica, I would be stoked as fuck. It's, it's an honor, but when you're the Kings, you get dissected in a totally different way. Yeah. Right? I, I, I always like, I always king. liken it to you're sports. the top of the big four, dude. I'm not saying I'm throwing yeah. rocks at your throne at all. But no, I am it's saying just like people are with are their the favorite top. teams, so, you know, so you'll, you'll debate. darkest hour yeah. favorite hobby of ours. We like an app called riff station, but there's a whole lot out there. We like to slow down songs. We like to change keys of songs. Uh, I use it to loop and maybe learn passages of songs really fast. Right. Mm -hmm. But loop station's cool. Cause it's got this little filter out at, uh, you know, vocal filter out app, you know, Oh, interesting. Where, you can kind of get to that. It sort of like phases it and it kind of like EQs it and does a little computer magic to almost like quiet out the vocals. I think it's through phase shifting. I'm not sure how it works exactly, but we bounced entire instrumental versions of uh, death magnetic and um, hardwired, um, you know, and 
even even saying anger like uh, the the move for us was we ripped the dvd that came with saying anger mm -hmm. we like the sound of that better yeah which sounds a lot more like the early garage days record which we haven't even talked about which is really off also hugely influential uh to, to me because of all that was, the shit that that, that was my me. first metallica record was garage oh, fuck that's a bummer because you <laughs> think they wrote all those six songs yeah. like you think they wrote helpless you think they wrote the bungee song you yeah. know um you know i love blitzkrieg i don't know why that shit is it maybe it got canceled maybe there's some white power shit i don't know about or something i don't know why that song disappears I, why is blitzkrieg the other b-side from uh the album with uh am i evil um is that that's kill them all right kill yeah, it, yeah when they reissued yeah. kill them all it, it, it's on it, it's on uh garage is it Inc. on yeah Oh, it's on garaging, but it's not on Kill 'Em All. Like if I go to Spotify, I can't hear that version that was I, on the end. I don't, I don't know that those two are still attached to Kill 'Em All anymore. I think they're just on Garage Inc. But they are the actual same studio recording. Yeah. Okay, because those yeah, are, are those are awesome, and also Bread Fan, which was a B side. Mm -hmm. That song kills, man. We would like, and the shit, the weird shit they do, where you can hear them partying in the back and counting with yeah. the, uh, and so. A friend of mine told me, and uh, I'm sure that, you know, like the internet can debunk this or not, that the reason that like Helpless and some of these covers exist are that Metallica would record a cover to get the like sound of the studio tweaked the way that they wanted before they moved forward, which is something like would never occur to us because it's hard enough to learn to play our own songs and then... <laughs> do that but it seems like so fun to think of them on two inch real tapes like in there all night pounding cores lights or whatever being like fuck it let's do this diamond head song and make it sound sick as fuck and then once it's good we'll know you know like yeah and the the, the i think the vibe in those uh tracks make them timeless make me want to listen to them right now you know i think a lot of it was also just uh, you know necessity is the mother of invention because when you go back to, and look at the set list from the very the first few handful of Metallica shows, you had "Jump in the Fire," which was a song, you know, Mustaine brought in from his prior band Panic. You had a couple of songs that had bits and pieces that Hetfield had carried over from Leather Charm, and then you had like four Diamond Head songs, and like you know, it was like I think it was more covers than metallica originals the first few shows yeah but dude you can get away without playing covers like that is foreign to me because i'm from the punk and hardcore world right but the the but like the pantera brothers they didn't exist without covers to get people in the door and then their sets. but that's what's interesting know? about metallica though because when you think about rock and metal bands starting out playing covers or doing part covers in their sets in the early days it's exactly for that reason they're playing you know van halen and led zeppelin and stuff that people know and want to hear what's interesting about metallica is that they were playing songs by bands that were still around that were obscure so i think there was almost a wink and a not like i don't think they went out of their way to to explain to the audience that those diamond head songs weren't their songs oh uh, no you know. but 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 I think it was part, it was brand building. Yeah. But you know, that was wasn't bringing anybody in building. the door in their case. No, but it know. was making them look a lot cooler yeah. than it was giving them uh, enough Justin songs. Bieber. It was, you know? it was giving them enough songs to play a show. I think at that point where, they Oh, well, yeah. In the beginning, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, probably. Yeah. 
but I'm saying later on the covers serve a completely other purpose on so many levels, you know, they can make the band more accessible in so many ways. I mean, dude, that whiskey in a jar cover, that's, that's a big stretch from Creeping Death, you know, but it's still a Thin Lizzy song, so. I love that cover too. It's one of my favorite covers of theirs. Um, you, you got, we got you off course. You were going to tell me about running those, those riffs and those songs through the, the apps. Oh, well, so yeah. So we have instrumental versions of all those uh, albums. And uh, I will say that once you take the vocals away and you start dissecting them, they did figure out whoever they worked with, they figured out what we were, what's going on with the right hand. Like, where are the thrash riff? Like what's like, cause man, it's weird. The vocals still make them catchy Metallica. Give me fuel, give me fire style songs. But when you peel them away, it does. There is that soul of, of almost like a puppets kind of cleaned up kind of pup punkier, faster puppets. You know, and you're like, okay, they were there. It's cool. But, right, you know, the right hand of Hetfield. Yeah, but maybe some of the like other stuff isn't necessarily totally there. Like some of the solo compositions aren't necessarily uh, as thought out or as leaned on as maybe they were. And it's weird. Like, why not? You know, but I know that you can't win the shred war. And I know that you can't win the stay young war and you can't win the stay relevant war. And we've worked with a lot of great producers, but one of my favorite producers, Mr. Brian McTernan from Salad Days always has a mm -hmm. saying, which is that, you know, you cannot beat a good song. So like if, if Metallica's mission was to continue dominating everyone's existence by writing catchy songs that heavy metal people love all over the world, they have clearly done that regardless of needing to lean on a lot of the shit that darkest hour and younger bands do shock value with lyrics, with imagery, with the, all the technicality of the shit. I mean, think about it. Metallica didn't really fall down the well of like trying to get super technical, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I think, just, I think justice was like the furthest extreme of that. And then yeah, they, they pushed against that. Yeah. Just, we're going to be catchy. We're yeah. going to, we're going to, we're going to make your head bob first, you know? And so I think, for a lot of those reasons, we love Metallica and we've dissected everything they've done creatively throughout their career. And it's just not fair to them. You know what I mean? Like you got to give some people a fucking break. And I love these video, the videos like um, a year in a life of Metallica, mm -hmm. all the man, uh, when we were working on the eternal return and the human romance, even we would put these DVDs on just all the time in the background. Uh, just so like you could just watch something else randomly and it was inspiring because they were working on the, these albums and they were it was the same kind of thing like they they would get in their cars and listen to shit and yeah i don't know and and also well, that, very, that, that stuff's very live relatable. shit binge and yeah. purge too is sick yeah. as fuck you know and um so i don't know like all, all, there was a lot of chances for metallica to influence us but dissecting the new records is maybe more the unfair ways that we judge them and just look at what they're doing. And our favorite way to do that is to pull the vocals off so you can really hear what is the music doing, you know, with apps. Yeah. That was interesting. That's our hobby in the van. 
Oh, yeah. shit. Do you hear that new Metallica song? Hold on. Let me get that shit without vocals. Let's peep it. Oh, you want to hear it without bass? I can probably make that happen. Oh, you want to try to get the guitars EQ'd out? Let me figure out how to do that. You know, I mean, there's an app yeah. for a lot of stuff now. It's fun. Well, I was saying I always liken it to sports because it's, you know, you, you can have your favorite team, but that doesn't, but you'll, you'll have your opinions about which quarterback and which coach and which year and what, you know, uh, well, you know, that's yeah. what's great about Metallica is that they invite that kind of study. Well, when you're at the top, they're so massive. Yeah. You know, you can, have all, you, loves can, you. you can have a whole podcast where you just interview and, people about them. <laughs> and I think more, I think more succinctly what I mean by when you're at the top is yeah. I think when you've, when you're a band, you don't get that many chances to have that fucking real nuclear connection with people because it happens a lot of times in a, in a convergence of the time of their life. Mm -hmm. They fall in love with a record that mm -hmm. means something to them and it stamps something but it's there for them and it's, and it means something and it, and, and, and in a lot of people it's about their youth. So it'll bring them back. So it makes them love that. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I think what's so cool about Metallica is they've been able to find so many people to have that stamp with, and then occasionally maybe even lose some of those people to the nether of life, but maybe have them always come back to being a Metallica fan on maybe one of the later records or maybe they're just a true loyalist to a certain era of Metallica. I mean, by the way, there are people that love the albums past the Black Record and don't like the Black Record and the early shit because they think it sounds like dinosaur music, you know, and they don't get it. So I do fully ex agree that the music is art. And people should be allowed to, to, to have these kind of, there shouldn't be a like uh, heavy metal just um decision that is like your opposer if you like anything past the black record or something you know oh but well you'll never win you'll never win there anyway because there are for everyone who says nothing past the black album there are tons of people who say nothing past justice there are people who say nothing past puppets exactly there and were people you know, who complained that ride the lightning had a ballad on it but i will say this i have always been grateful that metallica has persevered and existed and maintained because they have proven that someone can do it mm -hmm. that i'm not crazy dedicating my life to heavy metal because i love it so much because there are other people that have and they've let their flack down to the point where they've let themselves become totally vulnerable uh you know uh to let the world see this in a way that a lot of other artists their size can't and won't do and i think in that some ways also makes you understand that like even though they are where they're at, they have their unique set of problems. And so maybe you should view your problems as, you know, similar in a sense that they are just in a situation trying to make the best out of it, regardless of where you think they're at. Because mm -hmm. in a band size, a lot of it is about perception. And a lot of people think Darkest Hour doesn't have to do with, deal with a lot of bullshit we need to. So I think that Metallica having been able to do what they've done and connect with people that way, to have those moments that tie into their lives so that they love the band, you know, and continue to find people, not the same people, you know, not like keep you, Oh, you like justice. Okay. you got to like everyone. Their idea as artists is like, once you're hooked, you're hooked. We're that good. You don't even have, we don't even care. Our mission isn't to please you on every record. It's mm -hmm. our mission statement, which is push Metallica. And 
That brings me to the live concert. Last time I saw Metallica was just recently. Um, man, right before the pandemic, uh, you know, whatever, in Philadelphia. Um, I mean, maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it wasn't as long as early as I think. But they played at the Hockey Arena, Philadelphia, by themselves. Super long set, all the shit. Man, did they, did they have the it. comedians opening for them? Nope just yep. them but they had like 25 different vip experiences right so you could like get in at the bottom and you can get one experience get at the top and we were lucky enough to get in there at that black and whiskey level you know what i mean and it was crazy there's different merch tiers on different levels and everything's metallica everywhere everything's says metallica the cups it's like you're at a metallica disney world man <laughs> i love them for that you know and then they yeah. came out and crushed it i am not a fan of the in the round but i do think to understand what it's like to not only be able to control the stage the people in front of you the motherfuckers in the back you know that was always the goal like can i be on stage and can i get this dude in the back to put his hand all the way back there? does that mean he hears me is the mix okay back there and do i have him i mean i know these people moshing but do i have him or her you know all the way back there but metallica they're like I have him and her and him and her. And then I have him and her and him and her and him and her. And, you know, they're like everywhere. And that's must be insane to try to navigate and pay attention to and, 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 and rock and conquer. But I will tell you from a listener standpoint, you lose the ability to have a stereo mix in my opinion, because what's happening in the round is there is no center. <laughs> so it's just round. So how do you hear a left and right guitar? So mm. if I want to hear James Hetfield playing the rhythm on the right and Kurt Hank playing the solo like this, I, in the round, I don't hear that. So it's a uniquely different listening experience because no matter where you stand, because we were on the floor so we could walk around and listen, you know, you've got the kick here, you've got the snare here, you've got the bass here, you have the vocals here no matter where you stand all of a sudden that's a fucking mono mix yeah. you know what i mean wow yeah so uh that was Never the thing that, that really blew my mind was visually it was stunning epic epic on stage look set list but not the same impact as the time i saw metallica at the uh guitar hero launch in austin in front of a thousand people at mm. Stubbs, you that's know? awesome. You got to see that. Yeah, I've, had seen, to, had I've to seen them every fucking end to get into that thing. But yeah. we had a song on Activision, so we got in there. You know. Yeah, I've seen them with a lot of different size capacity venues and a lot of different type of events. So you saw them with a left and a right, and you know what I'm talking yeah. oh, yeah. about, man. Yeah. Left, right. Yeah. That's how I hear music, not round, but. Yeah. uh not to hate, just saying. No, no, I got uh, you. Really, oh, the, the in the round thing isn't, it's divisive for some. I understand the appeal of it for sure. I like the snake pit, dude. Snake pit's The idea awesome. of the mosh pit in between. Mm -hmm. But it's a shame that it's like, you know, people can't really mosh anymore. So it's more just like a the photo pit, the iPhone pit. <laughs> the Instagram pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the selfie pit. Yay selfie fit. Oh, we'll see what they do when uh when there are shows again who knows god well fucking change it up often you satan bless them dude don't give up metallica we need you <laughs> just get out of here 
Yeah. And you know, it's come up on the podcast before too, and and, and we can we can wrap with this. Uh, but you mentioned the longevity thing and how they're blazing the trail. And yeah, it it's interesting because even Sabbath, but when you think about you know, these, these uh, older rock bands, the Stones, bands that are still making records, still touring and kind of seeing how far you can go with it. You know, Paul McCartney, Metallica is really going to be the first of that generation that plays music that intense, that aggressively puts on that kind of a show for us to really determine how long can you do that? You know, well- Iron Maiden Wait. seems to not be having a problem doing that shit. Yeah, but Maiden, but Maiden's also. I've seen Bruce Dickinson point this out. He's like, everyone thinks we're the same age as Priest and Sabbath. We're not. We're younger. Um, we're talking about Maiden and Metallica, though. Yeah, but I'm thinking Metallica still is. Well, I mean, you know, Maiden is certainly more technical. But either way, I mean, you know, uh, they got. I'm just they saying it'll be interesting. Like, they don't look like they're slowing down up there. That's what though. I'm saying. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Is you that, know, is like, that we is that we have yet to see. I mean, the Rolling Stones and, and, and Mustaine's another one. Mustaine, I think, is older than all the guys in Metallica by a year or two. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, he I'm he saying, definitely shows his age more. I think you know, and I mean, I know he's been through a lot, uh, and he has to sing in a tough register. Too. Yeah, and I think that's they tuned. Easy. I think they tuned down a half well, step. A lot of bands back, do, which, yeah. which I have no problem with. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is, is the, all, all these bands we're talking about are still going hard and we have yet to see, we don't know how f- exactly how far it can go. Cause nobody's gotten there yet. You know? No, we no, but any, you know, black Sabbath, intense. black Sabbath, man, fucking Ozzy dude. No more tours. Part seven. God, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I love Ozzy. He, he, he really, I wish I could say brought it, but he really tried that last time. You know what I mean? And I'll shout out to Zach Wilde for like the 35 minute guitar solo. So we got our, you know, I was always all, all everything from no rest for the wicked. I really wanted to see he did. So, I'll, you know, in a kilt, by the way, in the middle of the, in the in arena, Zach yeah. Wilde was the star of the last Aussie show. He really carried the weight of, the concert because Ozzy, you know, he's just getting older, but man, yeah. I mean, think about the fact that he was in black Sabbath and is Ozzy Osbourne and is still up there. So it's I think wild. we do have some people who have proven that uh, there are things that you, that are impossible that can be done. And let's right. just hope Metallica proves to us that like, Oh, I think they will. I think they are already. I, I and that's what I mean is, is uh, the sky's kind of the limit. We'll see. It's a, it's a nice thing, you know, for the Mike Schleibombs of the world for you to be able to sit there and go, okay, how far does this go? Can yeah. I tell you the best gift though? Better than that inspiration is uh, what happened similar to the Van Halen record, A Different Kind of Truth. I'm not sure if a lot of people know about that record. It's the one with the train. The last one they put yeah. out before the one that died. They dug up a bunch of old material. and But not, yeah. not as much as you think, man. Because I know I have Van Halen Zero. That's what it's called. Go on YouTube. You can hear it. She's the Woman's on there. It's called Show. It's you know Showtime or something like. Yes, there are riffs, but that whole album has a lot of crazy stuff on it. And regardless, those in their defense weren't riffs that got used on technically albums, which mm. is something you do as a songwriter. So true. The way that I felt though. Okay, tattoo. Let's just skip over that because. 
I, I remember I, got, I heard that single and I was like, eh, what's up with the? T- I don't know about Tattoo Man, you know, but it's okay. It's Van Halen. Uh, maybe I'm not going to love this whole thing, but I'm going to love something. Then I heard She's the Woman, all the other songs, was totally in love. And I realized that Van Halen could do something a lot of people couldn't do, which was like, make me feel nostalgia, but give me something new and make me feel them all in a way that made me really feel young. So if Metallica, although they're at the top and got billions and got all the ESP guitars they need for life, if they still, driven by only the, their legacy, could make their best possible album, it is possible that I could feel that again, you could feel that again. And that would be, like, to me, their truest feat, rather than just surviving, would be like, out of nowhere... You know, heavy metal still exists. We're all still listening to the newest behemoth, but out of nowhere, that Metallica record hits and you are like the same way when you felt when you heard that Metallica record or that you well, self and you And you and I may diverge there because I feel, I feel the way you're describing about Hardwired. That to me was really, was yeah, that's pretty good. I wanted, and it was, yeah, we're all fucked up and shit. That's pretty good. You know, it was, you know, <clears throat> I like Death Magnetic. Oh, but, yeah, that's good. But I think that Hardwired really took. Is better, yeah. It took a lot of what they had brought back around with Death Magnetic and expanded it, Mm -hmm. and then also brought in some of like the vocal harmonies and stuff from the Black Album and even the Load and Reload era. I feel like it's like a really comprehensive set of songs. That dude, they're on the right track for sure. Yeah, this is like, you know, the Load and Reload era. It just feels like a lot of songs, and I've been there as a as a as artist. You know, Darkest Hour self titled album has fourteen. And maybe in retrospect, uh, now the way people hear music, we could have put eight of those out as B-sides and people would yeah. have loved them and people might have felt the album was different. So uh, same, I feel the same way about Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. You know, I think if you if you pull those down to one record, you do have a decent, uh, maybe not album better than Appetite, but a good follow-up, you know. But you, you the, the artists control and they're there to create. So you have load and reload. You know, and so I think maybe it's just a lot of material to to really sink into in the same way that Hardwired, you know, and Death Magnetic seem a lot more focused, like, all right, fuck y'all. Here we go. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like the first one, like, oh, yeah. Oh, you like that? Well, check this shit out. Boom. And you're like, damn. And I'm just saying, like, what is going to be next? You know, because what if it's like, oh, oh, yeah, you guys have been waiting now. You like that shit? All right. Now. Rob's in here. He knows what the fuck's up now. Boom, you know. So, because I'm a big uh, suicidal and infectious grooves fan as well. So, I would love to see reunions of that too. Yeah, I saw Rob play with with both of them actually. What uh, at uh, the second Orion Music Festival Metallica did? Oh, all right. Yeah, that was off yeah. my radar. Nope. Yeah, they, they, yeah, he Damn, suicidal played cool. and Rob did some songs with them and then they did a full on infectious grooves and they had with the Damn. what's his name? Sarsipitus, whatever, the Whoa. the mascot he was there. Uh yeah, it's great. I was there with, with Dillinger actually. Dillinger Man, bring back that Orion. That was awesome. I missed it. Yeah. I didn't I didn't see the first one, but I got to I got to go to the second one. And Metallica did the secret two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, kill them all set. Whoa. Where they they played under a fake name and on like one of the smaller stages just out in the field in the middle of the day kill them all start Dang. to finish it's 
pretty people amazing. People lost their shit. Oh, now, amazing. now think about how epic it is now that you can tell that story. Yeah, yeah, true. Oh man, now. Um, well, dude, it's been killer catching up with you. This podcast is a great way to reconnect with old friends and yeah, man, make new friends and uh, be a workaholic and and get things done and hang out at the same time. So, because we're, we're, we're productive, we just created something. Well, hell yeah, we're, we're out here uh, still doing our thing, man. So I appreciate you letting uh, some airwaves to the uh, to the uh, message of darkest hour here because yeah. we're out here staying alive uh, until we get out on stage. So you know, I am a longtime darkest hour supporter, and there's no reason for that to ever change. So well, we're gonna give you an album that you can take the vocals away from and dissect here soon. <laughs> roast me about it in the comments. <laughs> I like. I like the vocals. No, um, well, yeah, but do you take them away? Uh, so, you know, we already been. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't even think about how you're opening yourself up to everyone going. Oh yeah, I can't wait to do that with your records. That's fine. Amazing. There's That's five people be. in the band. Anything you don't like that one of the other guys came up with. That's <laughs> Everything you do like, it was your. It was all yeah, your- a collaborative yeah. effort. It was yeah. definitely not me that wrote everything. So you can't blame me. Uh, yo, so you like hardcore, man? Well, I got a new hardcore band. That yeah. you should check out called yeah. Do Well with Brian. You ever check this out? We're on EVR and N Hits. No. You never well, heard got, us? No. Okay, you got, check it out. So I have a new band. And I'm a fan of the whole McTurn the McTurnan well, family. Well, uh, it's members of Bane, Darkest Hour, Battery, Fairweather. And uh, we released our full-length record on Equal Vision and N Hits Records. And we're gonna be putting out an EP uh, really soon. Uh, and, and hits and possibly another American label. We're just like changing it up. Uh, Brian, he's like prolific. He writes tons of songs. But um, what year did that? Cool. Did the full length come out? Uh, this year? No, no, okay. 2020. So okay, it came so out it's in the, September. Okay. So it was pandemic's time. So yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, because the entire time I've been doing like like battery the last couple of years, we've been sort of like retooling that and uh, you know sort of invented a new band and uh, got, got Aaron. You know, Aaron from Bane and mm-hmm. a couple of our friends from Fairweather, another EVR band from DC. And it's kind of like an emo rock metal, not not metal, emo rock on a hardcore. So it's like a totally good ginger palate cleansing from the shit that I do. But you might like it. Although there I are a lot of crossover, but um, you should check it out on Spotify. Yeah. Band's called yeah. Be Well. I will check it um, out. I don't know how I'm, I'm sad it missed my radar, but I'm happy to hear about it now. Yeah. So check it out. And thanks out. for having me on and start, you know, at least we gave you plenty of content. You can edit all this shit down. because Oh no, it's all going. <laughs> no edit necessary. <laughs> well, cheers, man. Cool. Thanks brother. Later. <laughs>